0: What is a recent high pressure moment that involved conflict between you and someone else? What is a recent high pressure moment that involved conflict between you and someone else? I bet most of us can think of something, unless you're just living in some sort of world where it's just not, there's no conflict, Rob. Um, I just want you to think about that. What is just, it could be anything, it could be something you experienced at home, at work, with your team. Um, something within you, what was it about it? What was it about? Who was the, who were the other people or who was the other person? Why did it matter? In what ways were you right? In what ways were they right? Why did you experience it as conflict in the first place? I know there's a lot of things to unpack in those follow-on questions, but I want to draw us into this reality that we're experiencing this and what you're experiencing this. And so I'm Dr. Rob McKenna. And welcome to the Wild Conversation, where our goal is to make the best thinking in psychology, leadership, and organizational science accessible. I call that bottom shelf, like accessible to leaders who are willing to learn and edit for their sake and for the sake of others. And today we're continuing our series on building whole leader continuity and specifically, in this case, handling conflict and handling team conflict. And so I want to ask you another question What would change? For you and for others, what would change for you and for others if you handled conflict more effectively? What would change for you and for others if you handled conflict more effectively? If I have any expertise at all on this subject, I have to put this primer out there. It is rooted in my own continuing challenge to get better at handling conflict. And I'm not just saying that. Like some people just say like, well, I'm working at it too. Like I really, am working at this. Um, and it's truly an ongoing challenge. And I wrote a whole book about it called Composed, um, which, which really deals with the fundamentals beneath conflict. And we also developed an entire inventory that's part of our whole and intentional leader development toolkit called the Leading Under Pressure Inventory. And I would say this, in your capacity to handle, in mind, to capacity to handle conflict and the capacity of everyone around you Has a whole and solvable story with a little, if a little attention and intention was applied to it. So I would say this that I'm going to invite you into is the possibility that conflict and our experience of it is is a symptom. That there typically is a whole story going on beneath that that we don't often get a chance to talk about. And we see this emerge when people get into their intentional development that so often conflict is connected to many, many, many deeper things in each of us. So the the wild toolkit in our work is our way of. Of providing a structure and a scaffolding for some of those, those deeper things. And first off, let me say this, like, this is not a new topic. I don't know if we, I don't know what words you like. I don't know if we handle conflict. Do we manage conflict? Do we deal with conflict? Do we reduce conflict? Do we lead conflict? Do we avoid conflict altogether? Here's what I do know. Here's what I do know is that unless we have bailed out on life, <laughs> unless we have bailed out on life, Conflict is going to be a necessary part of our life and work because without it, we can't grow. We can't learn and we can't get in touch with what really matters, but don't hear me dismissing that it's really hard. It's not called conflict for no reason. So when people say conflict is good, it's like, okay, it just sounds like it really is dismissing kind of the realities of this, of what it, what it really, really meant really means. Um, if it's interesting, because if, if there is a symptom for which I and the rest of the wild Leaders organizational team has been called to solve over the years, just think about this for a second. Like we're in the leader development business and I, I've done a lot of work in organizational development. If there was one symptom, it is an inability for a team or a team of leaders to handle conflict. Like it's just, it happens. It's all the time. And that inability doesn't stop at the exit to our workplaces, right? It doesn't stop there. Like we all know how much conflict can tear tear us apart. Our families, our friendships, and even our communities. If we don't, when, and I think one of the realities that we don't fight well, it's one of the reasons that wild leaders in our, our team charter is one of our team values that we talk about is like fighting well is one of our stated values. And you know why it's stated there? Because I don't. And if I don't put put that framing around it, then I'm, I'm just I'm, I don't think I'm show up as my best. And I think the rest of our team would say, like, yeah, we're trying to fight. We know we're, that conflict's going to happen and sometimes it'll feel like a fight and we have to do that. Well, feelings get hurt so often, you know, and fundamentally disagreement is at the core of 90 percent. I don't know what in my experience of the invisible challenges we face. And I call it a symptom because it isn't the conflict that is the fundamental problem. It's our fundamental and shared problem of handling conflict with grace, truth, love, and deepening maturity, and I am as guilty as anybody else. And so let me, let me get at this. What is conflict? What is conflict? And I think oftentimes I will associate conflict with pressure because that's the way we kind of experience it. A pressure that pressure and change is oftentimes this issue of conflict. And I want to just say this. Conflict occurs when there is dissonance between two things. There's a difference. Something another way to think about it is this those of you that like uh, analogies or metaphor, it's like something that is moving comes into contact with something that is not, or two things that are moving come into contact with each other, and we have a conflict. I mountain bike every Monday night with a bunch of friends, and I can tell you that there is nothing more shocking than riding down a trail at full speed. And cutting a corner, it was last night, it was Thursday, and I almost did this last night, cutting a corner too close and running your shoulder into an evergreen tree in the state of Washington. <laughs> um, and it, what is fascinating about that experience, at first, you, th- I honestly think every time, even though I've done it before, I think to myself, the, like the split second before, it will surely move, right? Like, I'm a fast-moving object that weighs a good amount, but it is shocking every time when you realize it ain't going to go anywhere but you are, it's that moment. It is, it is like hitting, it is not like hitting a linebacker because I've done that before. It is, it is far worse because this is not going anywhere. And I think conflict between us is like that, except there is one big variable that's different than that tree, is that that tree is immovable and rooted. And the trickiness with human beings and that difference, you know, that, that immovable thing is that we get to pivot with each other, which makes it even trickier. At least the tree is going to be in the same spot on the trail next week. You know, we have ways of playing this game differently because we have, we have our own will and we're moving around. And so conflict is, is something that so often is created in those moments where we experience pressure and pressure coming from change. And I think that conflict does take different forms. Sometimes it's interpersonal conflict between us, which we experience all the time. Sometimes I think there is co- intrapersonal conflict. There's conflict that we experience within ourselves. You know, this difference, this dissonance we're trying to work out. And then there's also environmental conflict where I think some of us feel like we're in we're in sort of a fight with what's happening around us that isn't we can't even put to a person. And I want to say something and I, I know this is a moment that is a little bit dangerous but I do have some feelings about this. When it comes to co- the issue of conflict in our culture, I heard one of the just most outstanding thinkers uh, who has now passed away now named Edwin Friedman. And it's what the Leading Under Pressure Inventory is built upon is this, this framework of what's called leadership differentiation. And I heard him speaking to several hundred managers in a corporation. And someone asked him this. They said, what is the litmus test for, an, or, for the capacity of a team um, and also the extent to which like we're, we're emotionally healthy and you know what he said, he said, if he had a litmus test, it would be this, the extent to which people on that team are, def- are, are expressing themselves in the form of blame. So if he had to pick a litmus test, he would say that when a team becomes just full of blame, it becomes in some cases unsalvageable as opposed to a team of people who are constantly defining themselves. And understanding who they are in relationship to others, not just who they are in a vacuum, but in relationship to others. And one of the things that I'm, I'm, I honestly am a little bit frightened by, is that when a culture, whether it's a business culture or a broader culture or a family culture, becomes defined by blame and hyperbole, big statements that are not connected to anything specific, and leaders in the highest of positions, whether it's the parents <laughs> or the presidents, when they become defined by blame publicly, my concern is that we may be lost. And I have a hard time imagining any moment in history that has been more defined by our most senior people around us on every side, full of blame. And I'm not trying to make a political statement. I just see a lot of it. And I, I think that there are times when people need to be called to responsibility. Don't hear me oversimplifying that message. But when we become defined by it, where, what are we left with at that point? And I hope I don't risk some of you leaving this conversation with no friends at all, because I see it on every, I see it so, it's so overwhelming right now. And it, it, it is at the root, I think, of some of the things related to our capacity to actually deal with conflict that I'll, I'll give you a little bit of thought into. And my hope is this, and I see this every week when we, when we talk together and I talk with leaders, my hope is that there are thousands and thousands of leaders waiting in the wings of our organizations, our families, and even our government with strong and editable convictions rooted in something deeper than being right. But the thing about conflict is this, if there's something about it, if I could get back to sort of us, because it has to start with us. Here's some things about the reality of conflict it is neither good nor evil, but it is necessary. Conflict, like any tool in our toolkit can be used for growth learning, or it can be used for d- to damage, to hurt, to lash out, to blame and to criticize. And while it's hard enough to deal with conflict face to face, it's even harder when we triangulate others into our conflicts and talk about people and not with them about our disagreements. And I would say this, that conflict, I do not believe this, that conflict is not the enemy. Our response may be what is the enemy or the friend. That that conflict is our litmus test for our own capacity to lead in any moment. And if you wanna know how mature I am, I, I really believe this is true. Just look at how I respond when someone disagrees with me. I mean, I, and I, and I, I am convicted by that statement that I, you know, I'm, I'm pointing the fingers at myself. Do I blame them or do I lash out in anger? Do I, do I cower away and peacemonger or do I stand in my ground with feet ready to learn to move? And do I work hard at continuing to listen with ears to learn hear, and even possibly change even when it's hardest while also continuing to understand my own convictions? That's what. Our whole process of, of leading under pressure and this and how we would talk about handling conflict is that it's, it presents this fundamental paradox of standing in who I am with a willingness to edit. Like, how in the world do you do that? And conflict is, is I would suggest, also is not a process. It is a process, not a moment. The conf, that a whole perspective, a whole and intentional perspective on conflict is that it's a process and not a moment. Because too much conflict, and we know this, we've seen it. Some of us experience this. There's a lot of damage there. Too much in our workplaces become houses of daily emotional taxation that is unsustainable over time. Too little conflict. And we we can be sure that either someone isn't being heard or we've lost our urgency and our way. And I would say to you, any leader I've ever worked with who would say I have a hundred is making a big change and says, I have a hundred percent agreement from my team is lying to themselves. If it, was a, the, the, if it was a courageous change, someone's not talking because someone's got a different opinion on the, on the thing that you're trying to do. And I, just a couple of things like conflict is different than war, I think, in many ways. A war is an intentional choice to label you as my enemy over whom I must prevail. So I think I'm in many ways separating conflict from war. I know some of you would say there, there certainly crossovers. It's a Venn diagram. I get it. Um, and conflict is healthy, but not always. And so I think one of the things I want to just make a couple of assumptions before I say a couple more things is um, a few of my assumptions. This is my worldview. Okay. So first of all, it's this. I believe that everyone has intrinsic value in the eyes of God in spite of our shortcomings. And I also would tell you that I don't always live up to that value that I just stated, but I, but I believe it's true. And I'm seeking to try to live that out. I would also say this, like fundamentally, to even to work with wild leaders and to get what we're about, is our fundamental belief that every one of us has something to confess. I know a confession for those of you that were raised in a Roman Catholic background is, is, you know, it's a big word that has other things to it. But when I mean that, I mean something to take responsibility for. Um, And I also think this, that I will never be able to offer grace to you unless I understand my own need for it. So just a couple of things before I give you some, because some of you are like, give me some thoughts on how, what do I do, Rob, with all this deep thinking, you know, it's like, but there's a couple of things. I think there are some big barriers to effective handling conflict in our, in our teams. And I think some of this is, is ah, slightly provocative to say, but I think one thing I'm troubled by a little bit is our concept that you hear a lot culturally regarding your truth. And and I'm not not dismissing that every one of us has, it's important for us to handle conflict better, to understand our own convictions. But the idea that everyone gets to have it their way just is not real. Like we do life together in teams. And so the idea that I get to have my truth and that every one of you get to have your truth, and then we're supposed to work together. Well, what if our truths conflict with each other? And so what's really important is our capacity to actually work through this together and figure it out. And when we start to uh, pretend that we function in a vacuum, it's just not the way it works out. And every one of you I know is thinking like, of course it doesn't, right? But we use these big statements to talk about it that way. I think another thing is that that's important for us to, to note, um, well, it's just there, there are lots of barriers in I think how we deal with this, but I want to I get to get on to my, my point. Like I said before, the inability to deal with conflict, I think, is our number one factor impacting organizational performance, emotional health, team effectiveness. It's affecting attrition and people leaving. It's affecting whether people come or not to work for us. It's affecting leader effectiveness and hundreds of other variables. Um, and I think it's, it is so interesting to think about this. So where do we begin? And I'm going to get right down to specifics for each of us. Where do we begin? The first thing that I have to say is I think it's necessary to to start with a posture of readiness, to start with a posture of readiness. And when I say readiness, I could use some deeper words about that (laughs) because I think there's a lot going on in what it means to be ready. When I say readiness, I mean, ready to, to learn, to adapt, to receive grace, to offer grace, to function at a really high level, to work on doing it together. And I would say organizationally to recruit and surround yourself with it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like like to actually recruit people who are developmentally ready to the extent you have to, you need emotional health on your team to actually think about what does it mean for me to bring people who are ready, who are ready to go there. Readiness to change. Um, Your behavior, maybe your mind. And psychologically speaking, we know that both are important, by the way. Um, readiness to confess. I'm sorry, that was that word again. Number two, I would say. So starting with that posture, recruiting for it, creating a culture where readiness is something that we are looking for in each, in each other and in ourselves. The second thing is this, to know your defaults. To know your defaults. One of the, one of the reasons that we talk about, we're not trying to slam other people's leadership books, but, you know, because there's a lot of good ones. And I see, I know a couple of authors uh, I'm thinking about right now but is this, is that leadership is a bespoke process. It is something that is customized to a person. So you have, every one of us has different defaults. And this is what the leading under pressure focuses on is to understand which way that we go and maybe why. And when I say which way we go is that some of us in conflict situations become very much about us. Others of us became become very much about over connection to others and making sure everyone else is at peace. And others of us, I would suggest, and I worked with very senior leaders who do this and then college students who do this is some of us bail out. You know what I mean? It's not, not, I don't, I don't have any convictions anymore. I'm kind of, I don't know how to connect here. So I'm going to be in the meeting, but I'm not in the meeting. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And I think that's in a two by two, that's the low, low category. You know, to do that, but to understand our defaults is, is so critical as a, as a first step. And when I say default, I mean, those of you who bring a, a strong voice to a leadership conversation or a team that you're on or in your family's context, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that's a hindrance. But what I'm suggesting is that's, that's a strength that you already have. Let's work some other muscles. Develop your capacity to, to remain connected to your team. And the first step in that is to understand, so what are my defaults? And when do those things come into play? And that's where I would tell you, tell me more in that conversation, even as you have a conversation after this. And then the last thing is this, know your purpose. If there is one prescription point, okay, we studied the 11 strategies that allowed people to deal with high pressure moments effectively. And most of those high pressure moments were conflict. I think probably all of them were. And if I had to prescribe one thing that we found that worked for most everyone we studied, it was two two variables, sense of purpose. And potential. One of the things that we found was that the number one predictor of a leader's capacity to show up well in a high conflict, high pressure moment and lead well and with composure and connection and conviction was the extent to which they knew why they were in that situation in the first place. Do you hear me? Like, purpose is a strategic. Thing to do to actually think about. It's why some of the tools in the toolkit actually have you excavate those purposes because we know it's going to affect all kinds of other variables when you get into that moment. And it's someone who comes in rudderless to those moments where it's kind of up for grabs. The second thing was the second predictor over and up that was still contributing with purpose was focusing on potential. A leader's capacity to maintain a, a sight on positive potential outcomes in a situation where other people will only see barriers and problems. Do you hear me? And it's not like living outside of reality. It's a, it's a strategic response to say, because something good is there, regardless of every, with it, whether or not everyone else sees it. And that, that actually helped people show up on teams better in those moments where the pressure came on. So those are my three thoughts on where to begin. And so let's just, let's keep the conversation going. I'm excited for what, what happens next. Thank you for listening to this Wild Conversation. To join our live Wild Conversation on Fridays, visit our website at wildleaders.org backslash wild conversation and subscribe to this podcast for regular whole and intentional leader development conversations. Have a great day.